0: Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the Robots Podcast, Today we will hear about how a robotic sixth finger could help rehabilitate the function of partially paralysed hands. Wearable robots are a super interesting field with lots of potential, not least for those who've suffered injury, paralysis or who've lost a limb. Domenico Praticizzo, Professor of Robotics at the University of Siena and his team are working on wearable haptics to help patients with upper limb impairments. They've developed a robotic extra finger, which they call the sixth finger, that can work together with a paralysed hand to enable patients to grab and hold items and use both hands. Our interviewer, Audro spoke to Professor Praticizzo about the potential of the sixth finger and the future of wearable haptics.
1: Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself?
2: Yes, I am Domenico Praticizzo. I'm professor at the University of Siena and a senior scientist at the Istituto Italiano di Tecnologia, both in Italy, one in Siena and the other in Genova. I'm leading a group of uh, almost 20 people working on uh, robotics and uh, haptics and uh, how our main interests are related to the, um, to the hand and to, in general to the human-centered robotics. So uh, how can we develop uh, technology for humans especially focused on the end and uh, forearms mm-hmm.
1: and so what kind of people are you developing for It's rehabilitative
2: technology it's uh, the, the the most recent results that we are really happy to talk about is for uh, stroke patients that do not have the ability to grasp anymore because of the stroke so they do not uh, had uh, enough benefit from the rehabilitation phase uh, to get uh, uh, the hand working again. So they need some support to grasp objects uh, in, um, in their daily life uh, activity. But it's not only for stroke patients, it can also be spinal cord injury. So whenever you cannot use the hand, but the hand is still there, mm-hmm. um, you can find benefits from our research. In practice, when you think about amputee, then the amputee is easy to imagine uh, the robotic solution. So you have a prosthesis, you have to find a way to control it and to get feedback on your body. And uh, that's it, in some sense. But if you have a patient who is not able the hand to move the hand, to grasp again, because of the stroke or because of the spinal injury, then how you do? What you do? You cannot use the robotic hand. You don't want to use probably the huge exoskeleton that involves all the five fingers because you want to uh, go around, walk, uh, go to the bar, go to the cinema with this device. And so we were thinking to some uh, very wearable and uh, usable device uh, to get this stroke patient um, start grasping again.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, so you're talking about the sixth finger hand with haptics. Can you describe this? Device yes. to me?
2: Yes. So the main motivation of the six finger was, uh, was this. Okay, let's think about a stroke patient. Stroke patient is not able to grasp anymore, but he still has some mobility on the arm. Let's assume this.
1: Okay, and this is only one of the arms, specifically one for of the, the stroke patient. So
2: the control lateral, the other, the other arm and then work. Mm-hmm. Because basically you can have one of the problem of uh, a part of your brain and uh, the other hemisphere uh, works Mm-hmm. So it controls the other part of, uh, of your body.
1: Would you describe a stroke and then the after effect, how the patient is, really quick? So um,
2: I'm not uh, um, an so expert. It's, it's a blockage
1: in part of the brain, and it paralyzes yes. the other half of the body yes. from the afflictive part, of, part of, of the, the brain. Brain. So
2: the, the sensory motor control of, mm-hmm. uh, of your brain, controlling part of your body, and especially the hand... The hand yes. And the uh, arm can can be affected, so you cannot control anymore it.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, so so in the case of a stroke happening, uh, a part of the brain is not receiving oxygen, and so that part of the yes. brain can be damaged.
2: Exactly.
1: If that part of the brain is damaged and the person doesn't receive treatment soon uh, after the stroke has occurred, then what happens is the person can be left partially paralyzed. Yes. And so this is the case that you're designing for. Case.
2: This is the case. So you have uh, your hand partially paralyzed, your arm partially paralyzed, and you cannot do the bimanual task. You cannot open with your hands uh, a bottle mm-hmm. because you cannot grasp it and unscrew the cap of the, of the bottle. So uh, our idea was, okay, let's try to think about what's the minimum robotics complexity that you can have to your uh, human body to get the user be able to grasp again. Now, if you think about a simple gripper, a simple, simple gripper in robotics is done by two parts going uh, close to each other mm-hmm. and the grasping, uh, grasping an object.
1: So two is, jaws of a, drip, a gripper exactly. basically come together and grab. Exactly.
2: Yes. They come together and they grip. Now, you have one part already, because one part is uh, your hand closed or maybe mm-hmm. part of your forearm. So you have already a part of the gripper. You need another part. You mm-hmm. need an extra finger. You need an extra robotic finger. So we added this extra robotic finger that is grounded on the on the wrist or on the forearm mm-hmm. and just creates this new gripper, half of the body of the human, half of its robotic, and let the human grasp again, let the subject with the stroke... Um, so, mm, impairment in some sense
1: so it's a, for the paralyzed hand it's a finger that presses into the
2: palm exactly. of the hand exactly Exactly. And, you have a, and then you put an object in the middle and you grasp the bottle again you grasp the glass of water again you, you, you can you can stabilize any uh, object and you can do uh, you can do by manual task using the healthy hand that you still have on the other part of your body Mm-hmm. So you stabilize something and you move it. and and, yes. uh, and so as
1: you were saying, opening a jar or something. Exactly. Exactly. So you could stabilize the hand using the sixth yes. finger yes. and then use your other hand to turn yes. and open the jar.
2: Yes. Now, the the, the nice thing is that uh, this finger, is uh, when it's in a rest position, is a bracelet. So it uh, wraps around your forearm, so it goes under your jacket, so you don't see it. And when it uh, should come uh, to work, then the subject just takes the healthy hand, put the finger in the dog position, tra-ta, mm-hmm. this way, and grasps, and then the motor comes into the picture and grasp it, and you can do something else. Now, having a possibility, uh, the possibility of uh, grasping something with your impaired limb, it's uh, wonderful, because you will start uh, moving uh, I mean, the subject with the stroke will start moving again the arm because there is a reason, because there is a gripper, because there is a task he has to perform. So we think that compensating for the missing hand function will be beneficial for rehabilitation of the whole arm Mm -hmm. because your arm makes sense now to move again because you have the grasp again there.
1: Yes. Now, can you tell me a bit about the feedback you provide the user? So the haptics yes of
2: it? okay the um the the haptics part is uh, another big uh, area of our lab is a uh, wearable haptics highly wearable haptics so very uh so very if you want to light.
1: define highly wearable uh, the headphone analogy you gave for earlier was very helpful
2: yes yes okay the um, so the this research was inspired uh, by headphones headphones was uh, especially um, invented i don't know if you if you are familiar with the sony walkman was one of the first uh the device, device that can provide music to your to your ears while walking yes. in a wearable way and uh, they invented let's say this uh, headphone uh, to that is now very popular in uh, nowadays so you, you see people in the in the street yes. so in the if you if you make this uh, uh, parallel Reasoning in optics. Now you have optic devices that work in your house, so they have to be grounded. So they are robot grounded on the table, or uh, uh, you can have exoskeletons grounded on the on the shoulder or on the on the forearm that provide some feedback at your fingertip. What we wanted to do is to bring this wearability to a very high level. So we want really to have no extra joints and extra limbs that are not useful for. So we were developing a Thimble device and a Ring device that provide Apti feedback to your finger. So just going back to the headphones uh, for just a a second,
1: the thinking there was that headphones compromise low frequencies by being small speakers. They're still able to do high frequencies. They can't displace enough air to do the low frequencies. And so this is a compromise, but they don't impede you in any way. They're very small. And this is what you mean by extra wearable or yes. Yes. And so this rather than having a device that you wear that stimulates like uh, the fingers on your hand and having a large device, you have a small ring that exactly. provides us feedback. Exactly. And so that's the analogy exactly. to the headphones, correct? Yes,
2: the big... Uh, I don't know if the, the analogy is uh, consistent from a physical and mechanical point of view, but uh, to explain the idea, is does perfectly uh, the job. So in a headphone, you have high frequency and low frequency. In uh, kinesthesia... Sorry, in, a, in touch, mm-hmm. you can uh, distinguish between two parts. One is the cutaneous interaction with your skin. The other in, uh, is what called, is uh, is, I mean, when you touch something, try to imagine your finger touching uh, uh, a table. At, being, at the beginning, uh, you stretch, you stress, you deform your skin, mm-hmm. and you perceive something. Then, after that, you start interacting with your muscles and tendons. So, this is the two parts. One is the cutaneous interaction mm-hmm. with your fingertip skin, if you're touching the fingertip, and then as soon as the fingertip is uh, squeezed enough, let's say, mm-hmm. then you start interacting with the muscles and tendons. I see. Now, with the, our device, we are only replicating the uh, stimulus uh, of uh, the cutaneous uh, mm-hmm. feedback, the cutaneous perception, in yep. some sense, and not the muscle and the tendons uh, interaction. So in this sense, we are missing something. But there is a compromise and uh, we like this compromise because we are wearable and we can go uh, around yes. and uh, just perceive something.
1: So it's a small device that someone could wear in public spaces and yes. no one could really and tell. and you will not
2: recognize it. Yes, and so can
1: you describe a bit how the user is given feedback? Yes. So there's two methods, correct? Yes. Uh, squeezing and... Uh, so
2: there, there are two functions of this uh, wearable optics for the sixth finger. Yes. One is that I want to control it. So mm-hmm. I'm a stroke, suppose that I'm a stroke patient, that I want to start the motion of the, of the finger. The finger has only one motor. So I have this ring, and this ring have a, a switch, and as soon as I, I, I uh, use the switch, I, I turn on uh, the, the action of the motion, I trigger the motion of the finger, and the finger starts moving, and as soon as, I, I mean, if I am close to the glass, then I will grasp with the part of my hand and the finger of the glass. Then at a certain point, um, I want to lift the object, but the the stroke probably has also impeded me to perceive with my hand, because the stroke uh, in some sense destroyed the motor part, but also the sensory part. So there is no feedback in my hand that there is enough force in the grasp to lift the object. So I am providing feedback on this ring about the internal force of the grasp, so the rings shows me on the contralateral hand, so the hand who is not affected by the... is not paretic, actually, so his healthy hand, mm-hmm. is perceiving the grasp done by part of the human hand, the human body, and the extra finger. So, and when there is enough force, I can lift and drink it.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
2: when there is enough
1: force, uh, the user from the ring receives a little squeeze,
2: a little squeeze so we have both vibrations so it's a small and piece squeeze. of felt that wraps around the yes. person's finger yes. and this
1: felt is pulled tight yes exactly. and the vibrations what's the role of the vibrations?
2: the vibration goes more to uh, more to high frequency so when you you have to at the beginning I want uh, the user to recognize the contact and the contact is a high frequency uh, mm. signal because of course a uh, quite instantaneously from non-contact to uh, to contact mm-hmm. and then of course there is the the lower dynamics uh, part of the contact interaction that goes to the squeezing of the object so vibration provides the high frequency contact detection mm-hmm. and display on the other on the other hand and then there is this belt they squeeze around your finger and squeeze your mm, your finger and it will show exactly the uh, interaction force That the robot is using uh, against the object, against the human hand to realize the grasp, and they know exactly what's the force there.
1: So, switching back to the sixth finger component of the
2: design, would you
1: talk about the actuator
2: on it? Yes, we are talking about highly wearable devices, highly wearable haptics, and highly wearable robotics. This comes from uh, uh, by design. So, you have to design a system that is wearable, minimizing the, the number of motors, minimizing the number of joints, minimizing whatever it's possible to minimize because of the wearability. Mm-hmm. For the finger, we decide to have one single motor, just one actuation, and uh, very light parts, very low complex parts. Also, the joints are not mechanical joints in the sense that you can uh, rotate but are flexible joints. So you you have the flexibility in uh, in the compliance in the joints. And this is very important, the compliance in the joints, because together with the underactuation, because you have one only motor, uh, this finger, which is underactuated and compliant, is able to take any shape of the object that you want to grasp. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to adjust to change the coordinates of the joints because of special uh, object that you are uh, trying to grasp. So it's compliant with tendons, controlled by tendons. Compliant because you we have these flexible joints, mm-hmm. and uh, and then there is one motor only, and there is a, a simple force sensor on the fingertip that uh, is able to measure. Right now, in the current version, only the normal direction of the force. Mm-hmm. So it's in w-
1: pressing into whatever it is you are grabbing.
2: Exactly, exactly. So you know exactly what's the, the level of the normal force that you are using in your grasp, but you don't know the tangential direction of the force. Mm-hmm. So you, that would be slipping Yes, objects. you will not recognize the slippage mm-hmm. yet. And this is one of our future development of the finger. We want to also be able to recognize the slip. Mm-hmm. And that's something I want to talk
1: about later. Yeah. So the modular design now of the finger so basically it's a bunch of small components that are yes. hard and they're put together by a soft flexible component exactly. and so these are linked together and on one side of them there is a string right yes. that goes through and this string is pulled by a motor which rotates exactly. and this causes the finger to contract and grab whatever it is yes. but because it's a single string that's going down it it makes it so that the finger can form any shape to yes. grab and it exerts a pressure because of the compliance because of the compliance of
2: the jo- of the joints mm-hmm. then we designed it uh, to uh, we have some uh, specification uh, the requirement is that is the smallest thing that you can grasp and we were working in cylinders so we designed the compliance of the joints in order to be able to grasp a minimum radius which is 12 millimeters uh, cylinder Okay. And, uh, and, of course, you can also grasp larger objects. So the problem is not the largest. No. It is the smallest one. Yes. So this
1: was determined by the joint size, correct? The, the compliance.
2: The compliance of the joint. And also yes. the joint size. The joint like side. the hard the component, component of the joint. Yes, yes, this is what I mean. Yes, exactly. But not only by them. Also by the, the stiffness, the K, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that we have at each joint. Mm-hmm. So both the sides of the rigid part and the compliance in the soft part of the link. Uh, have you
1: been working with people that are affected with this? Have you had any user trials?
2: Yes. Yes. And indeed, uh, uh, we got a lot of inspiration by this kind of interaction because we really uh, understood what they want to do. You know, what was really impressive for me that we were not thinking about is that the design should be waterproof because they want to deal with the they want to fill with water the glass they want to use uh, uh, the the paste of the toothbrush uh, so they want to use the the jam to put on the bread so they want to to i mean they want to deal with the liquids and also having this uh, uh, waterproof design was really really important for us and again also here we didn't have any uh, trouble because having the one single motor and just cable transmission and uh, plastic uh, parts basically, and uh, so then you can move your, your your motor far away from the area where you are doing your your tasks, your manipulation, mm-hmm. and so you are safe in terms of liquid because the motor is somewhere else. Mm-hmm. There is some problem with sensors. The false sensor is still on the fingertip, mm-hmm. and then we can have some issues about uh, uh, the, some issues with water, if the water goes there, the liquid goes there. Yes. But we are trying to solve it. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, it's not the crucial part having the false feedback because most of the people have a motor impairment and not a sensory impairment. So if your sensory part is intact, you can feel the false on the grasp mm-hmm. by still feeling in your, uh, in your skin Mm-hmm. The, the, the whatever
1: you're pressing, exactly.
2: To, so you don't need the force sensor, because you, I mean, the stroke patient is able to feel 12. to feel. Yes. I got you. So,
1: uh, working with different people, what kind of reactions, or working with people that have been affected by strokes or have some sort of paralyzed yes. affliction, okay. what kind of reactions, responses, general feedback
2: have you had? Yes. So they like the, the concept of wearability. So they like uh, the idea that they can have uh, this uh, extra finger uh, wrapped around the arm like a bracelet under the jacket and comes into the uh, picture only if it's needed. And uh, they, they like the idea of uh, grasping an object and doing bimanual manipulation. So they are, I would say, enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. About the the extra finger, and um, what they want to ask each time. Uh, we tested like ten subjects up to now, and all of them want to have uh, the device at home to do uh, daily life uh, tasks, mm-hmm. and because they want to 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 recover the bimanual, uh, so they want to be to feel healthy in Sun The fact that you have to do some strange maneuver to do bimanual uh task. Now, right now they these kind of people open bottle by putting the bottle under the arm and then unscrew the cup with mm-hmm. the other hand. So it's not it's not a natural uh, way of interacting. So they like this recovering this bimanual part. They also love the part that having a ability to grasp something with your uh okay. let's say hand that is not working anymore, uh, so it, uh, the, the moving the arm makes sense. So they find motivation mm. every day to move the arm. And the arm stays fit in some sense. And for them uh, staying healthy is very important, both be- for two reasons. One is because it's uh, beneficial for the whole body, mm. and but there is another inner, uh, another important reason. Is they, they they want to, I, even myself, if I get a, a stroke, I want to be healthy because who knows in i don't know five years, if there is some solution that get me back with some i don't know something on my spinal cord, whatever it is, so I want to have my body ready for future solutions mm. that are not on the table now, so being healthy and fit is good per se because your body works better if you're fit, but is also a reason. To get ready in case some new technical solution later comes in the uh, in the in the research research area. mm mm-hmm. I see.
1: Now, would you explain the shear force sensing? A yes.
2: Bit? Now, the shear force sensing uh, is a. Uh, and important. again, that's
1: an object. So, if I was to hold something between my fingers and let it slide out. Yes. This is what shear force. So. Yes normal force would be how hard i'm squeezing into yes. the object but okay. if it's sliding that is okay. the sheer force so
2: now let's assume that i'm the stroke patient yes. i have a motor impairment and also sensory impairment of my arm i have the sixth finger i'm grasping a, a water of a a bottle of a, sorry a glass fill of water okay water glass and uh, i want to 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 lift my arm with the glass to drink now i have to regulate the velocity of the arm to not have the slippage of the glass from my finger mm-hmm. the, and i am not able to perceive anything on my on my skin okay with my skin so i need something that alert me that there is some slippage situation so if i have a tangential force measurement i can couple the tangential force with the normal force and they can have an idea how close are with the slippage. Mm-hmm. And I can be informed on the contralateral hand. Yes. So I can have information on the wearable optics. So if I'm moving too fast, so I can go to the slippage situation, I simply slow down. So the closer I am to slippage, mm-hmm. then I, I try to slow down the motion of my heart. So getting information on slippage through the shear yes. sensor controls, it's let me able again stay in the loop to control my hand. to safely have the the object in my my hand.
1: Yes. Now, is it possible that it would be something that could be automated, the shear sensing? So, for example, if you notice an object is slipping, you could just increase
2: the torque of the motor so that the object is held tighter. Thanks for this question, because it's great. It's great from a roboticist, but it's not good for the stroke patient. The stroke patient wants to stay in the loop, so they don't want to have robots solving problems for you if they can contribute in some way so if, they, if there is an information that led the human to slow the motion for them is better than having a motor they squeeze the finger autonomously without uh, his uh, uh, willingness to do that mm-hmm. because they want to stay in the loop they want to feel part of the sensory motor task so from a roboticist point of view we can do that we can solve that easily. But from stroke patient, I am not, I'm sure, I am I cannot say that is uh, 100% sure because still we have to realize this uh, device. But I'm sure that the answer will be, look, if I can do myself, let me do it myself. And then you just use the motor if I really am not able to do. So I'm thinking about some shared control. Partially the motor will take care of, uh, uh, get rid of the slippage. Mm-hmm. If the human hand is not able to uh, control the uh, the movements,
1: I see. Now, can you tell me a bit about the future of this device?
2: It's still in this direction because uh, when I talk with the stroke patient, even if uh, uh, the stroke patient is uh, one year, two years after the 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 the, 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 the stroke after the event, uh, and there is literature saying that there is no way. To recover the function, even if with uh, uh, reha- if you have re- rehabilitation, but uh, they don't want to listen to this. They want really to do something to rehabilitate. They want to have the hope to have the, mo- have the the option to move the hand again. So what we want to do is to uh, try to steer this uh, extra finger in a way that the hand starts moving a little bit. So we want to uh, couple the motion of the hand, the residual motion of the hand, like a small motion that is completely unuseful, but is useful only because it's moving the hand with the sixth finger. So we don't want to use trigger with the the switch of the ring or somewhere else, but we want still to use the impaired hand to trigger the motion of the extra finger. So we want to keep as much as possible the stroke patient in the loop and be embedded Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, we want to have the uh, better embodiment of the extra finger, so they have to feel uh, the finger is part of our body. And then, of course, there is the uh, this kind of research. I'm, I'm focusing on stroke patient, but this kind of research is really important to have human robot cooperation, which is one of our big uh, research for the in, haptics the comes for in the area for the haptics. Exactly. So we think that this wearable haptics improves the level of embodiment of uh, extra limbs, so I can have. Uh, uh, I can interact with a robot that is not necessarily worn on my body. it can be in uh, in this room it can be on a table mm-hmm. it can be on, in the kitchen anywhere
1: yes. anywhere
2: so if uh, with my wearable haptic device i'm realizing a sensory motor interface with this extra robot in the sense that uh, I can use my uh, the, the, the human motion, the limb motion, to steer also the robot motion in, in a cooperative sense, but I also feel something from the robot on my, on my limbs through the wearable optics. So I want to improve, uh, to increase the embodiment uh, of uh, extra limbs through wearable optics in healthy subjects cooperating with robots. Thank you. Thank you to you.
0: And that's all for today, but you can find more information about robot-related news, stories and features on our website at robohub.org. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye! Haptics with Robots, the podcast for news and views on Robotics